deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now. My friend, do you know you have some expensive garments on right now? These garments are beautiful. They were very expensive to purchase. In fact, the price was so high, it cost a man his blood to purchase them. That man was Jesus. Let's read from Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul, my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isn't it wonderful that instead of guilt, we have been clothed with salvation and righteousness? We have right standing with God right now, not when we get to heaven. There is no debt against us. The debt has been paid. We are justified, just as if I never sinned. Hallelujah. Now, one of Satan's primary weapons against the saints is guilt, and this guilt comes in the form of condemnation. The Hebrew word for Satan means to oppose, to obstruct, or to accuse. The Greek term for Satan literally means adversary. This definition, my friend, categorizes his job description. Satan opposes, he accuses, and he obstructs. Remember, as a roaring lion, Satan seeks whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. And guilt is one of the ways which we can allow him to devour us. He accuses the saints before God day and night, but thank God we have a defense attorney in Christ Jesus who has an answer for every accusation made against us. Amen? I'm sorry, devil, your accusation sounds very convincing, but you'll have to see my defense attorney. His name is Jesus. He's been to school, not Harvard Law School, but a whole lot better than that. He knows the law inside out. Now, us saints can struggle with sin, and we can have some issues after becoming a Christian and being born again. We are saints, but we're not perfect yet. We must understand that the Holy Spirit convicts us to get a person's attention for repentance, and once that sin is confessed, the case is closed. For someone who confesses the same sin over and over again without feeling forgiven, that, my friend, is a work of the enemy. Remember that Jesus admonished Peter to forgive 70 times 7. So God wouldn't ask us to do something that he wouldn't be willing to do himself. Our God is a forgiving God, up to 490 times a day, friend. Let's read from Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Whose tongue are we rising up against in this passage? Friend, it's the tongue of the accuser. And people can be used by Satan to accuse you without even knowing it. Let me draw your attention to 1 John 1, 9. Let's get in his face. Let's get in Satan's face and say, look, I've confessed my sin. I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. Case closed. Court adjourned. My sins are covered, devil, under the blood of Jesus. And there's more than enough to pay for any sin, past, present, or future. 
Remember, friend, that it's not your righteousness that is even being challenged by Satan. He is challenging the righteousness of God himself. Why? Because you are joined to Christ in the spirit realm. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. So if Satan accuses you, it's the same as Satan accusing Jesus himself. From this point forward, I never want you to identify yourself with sin. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. God the Father looks at you as he would his only begotten Son. Your spirit man is spotless, blameless, sinless, irreproachable. Hallelujah. Remember what Romans 8.1 says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, we are made righteous by believing, not by something we did. We simply believe on the works that Jesus did. We are not righteous by our own works, but by what Christ did. We basically get to live out all the wonderful benefits that Jesus deserved for living a sinless life. Let me ask you this. Are you confident when you pray? Are you confident that the Father is going to answer your prayer? Let me ask it another way. Do you think that when Jesus prays, the Father will answer him? Of course he will. It's the same for you, friend, because you're a joint heir with Christ. When you pray, God the Father sees his Son. Check out 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that he hears us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Friend, you should be just as confident that God will answer your prayer, because when you pray, the Father answers because he sees his Son, Jesus, in you. Jesus is living on the inside of you right now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are joined to Jesus. You are his body. If the head prays, then the body gets the answer too. Amen? We are the body of Christ, so be confident when you pray. Now remember John chapter 10 verse 10, very famous passage. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. This is Jesus speaking. In this passage, the thief is a hireling shepherd who is only in the shepherding business for the money. He doesn't really care for the sheep. But there is a deeper typology here. The analogy between the good shepherd and Jesus and the thief who represents Satan. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. This word is zoe in the Greek. As I've mentioned before, it can mean abundance, prosperity, wholeness, and peace. It can have a multifaceted definition. It has many meanings, all of which are good. Some people say they want justice in this life. But if that were true, you would die and go straight to hell. Because Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, there is a wage to sin, and it must be paid. Jesus paid it for you, and this passage makes it clear. It's a free gift to mankind. It was a gift. It didn't come cheaply. The price was a man's blood, the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, an exact exchange was required to replace the loss of what was taken. Let's read Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. 
And if any mischief follow, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The Hebrew word for life here is nefesh. In the Old Testament, the word for life and soul can both be nefesh. They can be synonymous. Nefesh can be defined as the vitality of a living creature, which we would call the soul in today's vernacular. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. When your blood is drained, you die, plain and simple. Your life force would wane as a result. With the bloodletting fetish of the late 1700s, they thought you could rid yourself of common ailments by letting some blood out of a person. Well, unfortunately, this was taken to the extreme when in a moment of malpractice, 32 ounces of blood was removed from the first president, George Washington, and he slipped off into eternity. Notice that blood makes atonement in the passage I just read. There is no other way in God's eyes. As I said, the word for soul here is nefesh. So the word of God is basically saying the life of the flesh is in the blood and the blood contains our life force that brings us vitality and it must be shed to make atonement. When our spirit man leaves our body, we cease breathing. When the soul leaves, our blood no longer flows. Your spirit and soul will go to eternity. Your body will remain. It will decay. In other words, one soul has to make atonement for another soul, according to God's word. And since the soul receives life force from the blood, then blood must be shed for atonement. In the case of Jesus, it was once and for all. Did Jesus pour out his soul? Where does it say that in scripture? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 53:12 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. By all accounts, at the crucifixion and the number of lacerations that Jesus endured, he shed his entire blood supply on the cross. He poured himself out. He poured out all of his blood. He poured out his soul. He gave it all. What else was there to give? Nothing. He gave it all. The cross is offensive to some, my friend, but some things are offensive and are necessary in this life. For us to have life, we must feed on Jesus literally. Ooh, that sounds a bit creepy, but let's check out John 6:53. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Friend, Jesus said this metaphorically. We don't have to find the Holy Grail to see if there's a drop of Jesus' blood left in it. We don't seek after relics. We don't believe in transubstantiation, which is to say that the wine in communion literally becomes the blood of Jesus, or that the wafer from King Supers literally becomes the body of Christ. No, friend, some things in Scripture are obviously metaphorical. Symbolically, we receive communion. Usually every month, people receive communion at local churches to remind us of the body and the blood that was shed, the body being the bread and the wine symbolic of the blood of Christ. Friend, I can talk all day and all night. I can transfer knowledge to you. You can listen to this radio broadcast, walk away, and in about an hour forget everything that I said. 
Things can remain unchanged unless I challenge you personally for you to crack open God's word and see yourself in the mirror that you're looking at. My desire is for you to see yourself right now as Jesus described you. Just close your eyes right now if you can. If you're driving, don't do that. Just close your eyes if you're in a quiet place. I'm going to repeat what I said to you a few days ago. I'm going to say it again because we need to hear some things over and over before we start to really believe them. Now hear this, friend. Jesus was punished that you might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that you might be healed. Jesus reconciled the hostility between you and God. He gave you peace. Jesus became sin with our sinfulness that you might be made the righteousness of God with his righteousness. Jesus endured our rejection that you might enjoy his acceptance. Jesus justified you. He acquitted you of all the accusations against you because of your sins. Jesus died in your place that you might share his life. Jesus was made a curse for you that you might receive the blessing. Jesus endured your poverty that you might share his abundance. Jesus bore your shame that you might share in his glory. Friend, I want you to get this. It is so important that you identify yourself with Christ now, seated in heavenly places, not down here, surrounded by sin. That is not how you should see yourself. Friend, meditation of God's word is how it gets off the pages and deep down into your spirit. You need to see yourself in the way that Jesus describes you. You need to see yourself seated in heavenly places. You need to see yourself translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. You need to see yourself as the righteousness of God, not a weak and feeble worm of the dust. This is the key to walking in a righteous lifestyle where it's not just information transfer, but it gets deep down into your spirit, my friend. This is the key to success in the Christian walk. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button 